0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World,
1: or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest,
0: All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
2: And welcome to the show. Special greetings to all of my supporters on this radio show. I got to tell you what, as I've always told you, it's you, people with disabilities who have made this show successful for the past eight years, and I hope you all know how much I care about you and how much you mean to me. And speaking of someone that is very caring, it is our guest today. He is one of my most favorite people. I've known him for a long time. I can truly say that when you think of the word leader, his picture would be by it. He is truly a, not just a great business leader, but he is a great man. He is the president CIO of Federated Services Investment Company, Federal Services Company, excuse me, a division of Federated Investors, and Federated Investors, I'll let Rex talk about it, but it is a premier corporation, and we are so honored to have someone at Rex's level as our guest, as this month we are celebrating top CIOs in the United States. So Rex, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Joyce, and it's a pleasure to be here talking to you, as always.
2: Well, this year you were named CIO of the Year, although, as I've just pointed out, that's far from your only responsibility, since you're also the president. But I wanted to ask you, and by the way, this is from the Pittsburgh Technology Council, which is one of the largest technology groups in the United States, as there's also a large one on the West Coast. Um, and every year they have this CIO of the Year. It's a very prestigious award. And Rex, what did, what did that feel like to you? How did you feel about that happening?
3: <laughs> well, personally, I, uh, how it comes about is always interesting, but, uh, it's something I never really strive for, never even thought about, and I quite frankly wasn't even aware it was going on. I guess the, uh, the, the nice thing about this was, was the element of surprise. I mean, I was nominated and elected and won and didn't even know I was nominated. And, uh, I was, I found this out uh, after they had decided on, on the, uh, the winner of the award and there was a process that is very, uh, you know, confidential, uh, that the voting is confidential and I knew nothing about it. So I guess first of all, the surprise was I didn't even know what was going on and, uh, I guess the most i guess the most meaningful thing about it was it comes from my peers. It's not one of these ones where you know people you work with and vendors and maybe how you spend money and where you spend your time It's from a group of folks that not even all I even know uh personally I've known of many of them but uh, uh to come from a peer group probably is the most significant thing about it uh uh 'cause it's the people that do what I do every day and uh we understand each other a little better in terms of what we deal with and I think that was the most meaningful thing about it.
2: Well, it is, and it is, it is truly a great honor. Um, and, yeah, that is the best part about how that is kept sort of like the Academy Award. <laughs>
3: yeah, with these Academy words, you know you're being nominated. I didn't even know I was nominated. Yeah,
2: that's true. That's so that, true. That
3: was even probably more of a surprise, but
2: still very right. nice. Well, you know, as I've talked to, we've had everyone, like last week, Senator Harkin on the show, and in the past, frequently, we do talk about Leadership skills that I wanted to ask you in the world of work or business, uh, Rex, as you reflect on not only your career, but of people that you've worked with or people who have worked for you that you feel, wow, they've really been a great leader in business. What would you say are some of those skills?
3: Well, I think there's probably more than one obviously uh, I would say number one, clear communications uh, no matter uh, a good leader I think has to communicate clearly and not waffle and not just uh, kind of beat around the bush, so to speak mm-hmm. so first of all, having uh, clear and frequent communications i believe is is uh, is one of the key attributes uh, and allowing uh, then you to learn. Um, uh via good and bad experience I guess, but they're always being there as a coach and not someone that allows you to fail. Uh will coach you through it. And in addition I would say someone who can make decisions, uh quickly, uh, but gathering data but not spending, you know, too much time analyzing data. I would say maybe uh breaking down business barriers in a process, but making a decision is probably more important than not making one at all. And by not making one, is no decision in my mind. So a good leader, I think, is great communications, a uh, collaborative style, and having a dialogue, not dictatorial, and engaging you in the decision or, or, or having at least gathering input, whether you, you get your way or not or your desires is not important it's, as long as you're heard and you feel you're heard. And then a decision is made, and it's clearly made and, and articulated as why the decision is made and move on. So I think a good leader... Uh, works through other people to get that done, and all those things are, uh, are are great attributes, I believe.
2: Right, and there are some people that you know. I remember before I founded Bender Consulting, when I was in executive search, how many times you know that you would meet people that maybe were very skilled from a technical standpoint, but did not have communication skills. And one time I was talking to a professor at MIT and he said, I have three brilliant people here, but none of them would be appropriate because they can't communicate. And that really is true. It doesn't matter what your academic background is. If it's a position that requires you to manage people or work with people uh, in a team atmosphere where you would have to make presentations, you know, if you can't speak in front of people, it's not going to happen.
3: Yep, and if you don't listen, and um, and many times the best ideas come from people you talk to, not so much your idea, but uh, don't uh, involve them early on is always another good, I think, idea, not after you've made the decision.
2: (laughs) And Rex, have you noticed throughout your career, you mentioned about not being dictatorial? Um, don't you think if you go back, you know, 20, 25 years, haven't you seen a big shift there in how people, you know, manage people or supervise people?
3: Yeah, I do. I do think, um, uh, I don't know if it's part of our culture or whatever, but more collaborative dialogue is you see today in leadership than what you, maybe it's because we were taught to be leaders. I don't know, but, uh, so many of the organizations when I started were very, you know, top down, hierarchical and very structured and you know, you waited from the top down to make the decision or direction, and then it just got passed down to the bottom to execute. Today I think you see more of a um, collaborative environment on all levels, more discussions, more openness. And I think part of the regulatory, legislative and some of the bad things that have happened in our companies in our society, in the last five or ten years, have caused us to 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 be more open and involve more people in it, and, and making sure that uh, what's being done is for the best interest of our shareholders and our customers. Right. So I, think it has I,
2: I don't. I don't know if that's also because maybe in the past people also, you know, they thought about their their uh, parents or the way it used to be, but you know, a lot of people still, you know, had the idea of, hey, if they don't do it, you know, that's it, I'm going to get rid of them. But, you know, that type of, uh, I'm not meaning now that you don't have to get the job done, but as you pointed out, there's a difference between being a dictator and really leading people.
3: Well, dictating will get you maybe a result, a short-term result, but has long-term implications, potentially. You may get the short-term result, but create a longer-term problem.
2: Correct. So how how do you, one of the questions that I have asked uh, many people is, do you think this can be taught or do you think this comes from experience? What do you think?
3: Well, I think to some degree you can talk about it in education, but I think you kind of have to see it and learn it. And uh, I think the key is to find, uh, to keep your eyes and ears open and learn from what other people do. Every culture is a little different, so how you apply it could be different. Uh, and, and who you do it with and how you do it, but I think it's something that you can definitely learn. Uh But you need to want to learn. It's like everything else. You need to want to do it. And you need to understand, I think, and be honest with yourself. And I think one of the things I've learned is that I'm not great at necessarily everything and all things. And as I surround myself with people that are a lot smarter than I am, I learn from those people. And if you're open to their ideas and suggestions and sometimes criticisms, and not take it defensively, you learn more. And so I think it's learnable, but you have to be willing to learn, which means to accept that you're not always right.
2: Well, I'm hoping to use these uh, shows this month uh, for classes where they want to hear from business leaders uh, and learn how to excel and move forward. And for anyone listening to the show right now, I think that you can tell that although this person is very well-known, very accomplished in his career, and is and has worked for some of the top corporations in America, he's also a modest, humble person. So that probably has a lot to do with why he is so successful. I would say about Rex that he is um, modest, but yet he gets the job done. And that together, that is an incredible leadership skill. When you have the ability and you are assertive and can get the job done, but at the same time, you are not, as you said, that dictatorial person. And with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, what a great show for you today. This month, we are celebrating Chief Information Officers who have or are making a difference in America and in business and we are hoping to make this available to schools, to anyone that is doing classes on great leadership skills. So if you're listening to this show right now and you have a young uh, student or someone that you want to know about this, remember all these shows are archived and have been for the past eight years on voiceamerica.com. And with that, we're going to go to break, and then we'll be back with our guest, Rex Althoff, President of Technology and CIO at Federated Services Company, which is a division of Federated Investors. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at
0: 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Spender.
2: And welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, we have as our guest today Rex Althoff. Who is the president of technology and cio at federated services company which is a division of federated investors incorporated and for those of you who are not familiar with federated investors rex would you mind taking a few minutes to talk about it
3: sure we'd we'll be glad to thanks Joyce. Um, federated investors uh, were formed back about 1955 we're what i call in the uh, financial services sector we are a one of the nation's largest investment managers, and we manage, uh, uh, other people's money, funds, uh, we, right now, it kind of moves around, but about $350 billion of assets are under management, primarily in what we call three major groups, uh, money market, uh, fixed income, and then equities, which can be global or domestic. And, and uh, we have a series of, uh, a group of individuals that are money managers, uh, portfolio managers, uh, as well as research, we do doing research and then distribution to uh, our, our clients. So we're in the investment space, uh, have about 135 or so uh, different funds um, that uh, we manage accounts for about uh, 500, 5,000, I'm sorry, financial intermediaries and institutions. Uh, to help meet their financial objectives.
2: And so you are headquartered here.
3: Headquartered in Pittsburgh. And, and have offices. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Of, two offices, I'm sorry, in New York and one in Boston. I mean, New York City, one in Boston, one in Rochester primarily.
2: So if someone is interested in working for Federated, I assume they should just go to the website?
3: Yes, we have a, a website that's federatedinvestors.com that you can go to that has uh, all of our openings and you can send a resume in even though it may be an opening that fits you or you can apply for the existing jobs.
2: Uh, and may I tell you, this is really a highly thought of uh, corporation, so uh, if you are considering working in the financial area, this would be a great company that I would look into and I would encourage you to do so. Um, Rex, what I was going to talk to you about at break is that I was at a company today and an executive I was meeting with was talking about how companies are going to be having a huge problem with the fact that, you know, uh, students are not going into the STEM areas. um, And, for example, some of the intelligence agencies are having a difficult time because of all the restrictions where the person must be a US citizen to work in the facilities and that you know we don't have enough young people going into technology math or any of these areas uh what is your opinion about that
3: well i, I definitely agree in particular in our business the technology the information to- technology sector uh, i do uh, work i uh, am on some advisory boards at universities um Uh, I'm very active recruiting into the university environment and what we're finding out is that many schools are having trouble finding students that want to go into this field and primarily because of their parents who believe that uh, the information technology jobs have all left the country. Which is far from the truth. As a matter of fact, we have uh, under, we have a shortage of qualified, experienced, or even trained University folks to work in our industry. And overall, uh, their industry has a, a very deep shortage in finding skilled, trained information technology professionals across all of our disciplines that we have. So I think it's a real issue for us.
2: Yeah. And do you have any thoughts overall why you know why in addition to what you said this includes mathemat- mathematics and right. all areas you know why do you think we don't have students going into those areas well,
3: i think perception becomes reality and uh, the perception is these technology jobs number one have left the country uh and there's no future there's not enough jobs uh, none of the, you know so there's no real career yet the data is opposite of that, so it's, it's an interesting phenomena, and I can't I don't I can't explain human behavior, and and but I would encourage any young person looking at a career that has an interest in the sciences or mathematics uh, or technology, computer technology or information technology to to pursue that because of the the futures around technology. And clearly, everything we do in our life has a technology component, has an engineering component, has a mathematical or scientific component. And I believe that is, if we're not going to have, obviously, manufacturing plants are not here in angry demand. They've been offshored for the most part. So heavy manufacturing has pretty much changed in the information technology industry. And information technologies around the sciences and the maths and the information itself, that is the new I think, manufacturing business that this country has the opportunity to be the world leader in, and that is where the future of the jobs are, and yet we're going to be constrained by becoming that leader if we don't have qualified, skilled individuals, and clearly the the uh, other countries around the world are producing at a much higher rate than we are. So if we're going to be competitive, we're going to have to create more and encourage more of our students to pursue um, these careers.
2: Hey, it folks, starts, we so are on Facebook, great... Twitter, and, of course, uh email live, as you know, or you can call in. But we have right now Linda from Kansas, and the question she has is, uh, first, Mr. Aldhoff, great that you're on the show, and congratulations on that award that you won. My question is, in reference to these jobs that you're talking about, do you find when you interview people that young people today seem to have more of a sense of entitlement than before?
3: Oh boy, good question, Linda. A sense of entitlement. Um, I don't know if I would call it entitlement. Uh, I, I do believe that uh, they're more confident, and if they're if they have a good education, um, they're looking uh, to. Um, uh, You show you that they can perform and do the job. Uh, But uh, entitlement to me, I've seen more of an issue of, if I talk to my own personal situation, my own experience, the entitlement comes the longer people work for you and the, I think the younger folks have less of an entitlement mentality than the folks that have been around a long time who maybe are having trouble making changes because technology has changed a great deal, so you have to retool yourself all the time. And if you're not willing to do that, then there's a, sometimes you're threatened by uh folks that have the newer skills and your inability or, de- or desire, whatever it is, to maintain those. You find more of the entitlement, I think, on the opposite.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also here we have Terry in New York uh, Rex I heard you talking here about young people not going into these fields that are technically oriented do you see companies such as yourself reaching out to elementary schools not just waiting till they graduate from high school?
3: Well, that's an excellent question Terry I think it, it begins in the elementary schools and I would to be honest with you as a company, uh, we have not uh, embarked uh, into the elementary schools yet. But what we, where we've been focusing our time is getting back. And quite frankly, many of our companies, and in, 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 I speak here Federated in my past life at Bear and that, we got away from going to um, the colleges. We were always, in the days, you know, if you go back 10, 15 years ago, there was such a large wrap-up in technology that we were using a lot of our uh, folks from other countries to supplement our staff and we were only looking for experience. We weren't taking the time to train people and we missed the mark and so we lost touch with universities. Now in the last five or so years, and I don't know how many years it's been, but say in the last five to seven, eight years, we're focusing back, more back to universities and beginning to work with universities to number one, you know, help them get the right kind of training uh, curriculums in place, uh, number two, to assist them in getting information to prospective college students in the high schools. So that we're using the universities to reach into the high schools um, and through the universities that's where I think, at least that's where we've been focusing, to get to the high schools and the families, helping creating information and statistics, and talking about the careers and where the jobs are, and so that's being used by our colleges that I'm on advisory boards with to talk to the parents and to help the students maybe help make that choice to come into this field. To what level now? That's got down to grade schools. I could honestly commit or, or say I know that uh, we have go- I have gone into the high school classrooms, into the science. Classes and talk about careers in technology across, you know, engineering and mathematics and science as well as information technology. When I was back in my manufacturing company days, and so uh, there has been a reach of the high school, but I don't think we've gotten down the grade schools, and I, and that really has to happen, I think, within the schools of the, uh, of the, of the communities where if we get the high school's attention, then maybe they can drive it down to the grade schools but I'm not aware that we're really going anywhere in the grade schools actively today
2: and you know if you're a young person listening to the show right now and maybe someone has told you that oh if you're in any of these fields you're weird you're a nerd you're whatever trust me when you graduate from college well even before you're graduated when you have corporations and federal agencies all trying to hire you not those friends that told you this, you'll be so happy you made this decision. Because right now, as Rex pointed out, not only is there not enough students in IT or the computer engineering field, but even mathematics. I can tell you right now that I work with intelligence agencies that are scouring the United States to find someone. And for all of you with disabilities, here's your chance right here. You want a way to combat the discrimination you've been put up with? Go into one of these fields. We've got to have a new way of battling everything, and surely this would be one of them. Don't you agree with that, Rex?
3: Definitely, definitely. I mean, the the fact that there's such a need opens the doors, and right.
2: uh, I, and well, I
3: believe we're looking for people with skills, not so much, you know, you know physically what or mentally. Yep, this bill, yep.
2: Alright, well listen, right now we're going to get ready to go to break if you just joined us. We are talking to Rex Altoff as we celebrate this month Chief Information Officers that have made a difference or are making a difference. And Rex is one of those people who has made a difference and although he has moved up now to president of technology, is still making a difference. You are listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Rex. Don't go away.
4: News. Opinion & Wellness Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at
0: 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
2: And welcome back to the show. This is Joyce Bender, and we are talking to Rex Althoff who is the President of Technology and CIO for Federated Services Company, a division of Federated Investors, as this month we are celebrating Chief Information Officers who have made a difference or are making a difference. And before we go a little bit further, I want to tell all of you young people I want to repeat something that Rex was explaining. Rex, one more time, could you explain to young people, because many of them have said this to me, why would I ever move into this field when all the jobs are going offshore?
3: Well, number one, uh, I think there's a misperception that jobs have moved offshore. Uh, companies have become more international. We've always been international. Many companies have had uh, sites around the world. We've always moved work around the world. Uh, clearly in in our profession, there have been uh, more jobs because of a shortage of labor here that have gone offshore many of them for perceived cost uh, savings. Uh, I think much of that has equalized and will continue to equalize but even though the jobs have moved like any other profession they can move uh, the number of jobs and demand in our in our on our shores here have increased. An increase greater than the numbers have been outsourced. So we've actually lost ground in our more openings today than we've had previously. I know personally it is harder and I talk to my peers all the time. It takes longer to find people, to hire people, and we're just robbing each other all the time. And, and, and we're not, we don't know, we're not generating enough new people in the business, in the, in the profession to handle, uh, the demands that we have in then now we're facing the baby boomer retirement beginning to start, and many of our, uh, or much of our profession is highly uh, leveraged to that age group. And so over the next five or ten years, it's going to get even worse. And therefore, you know, with that with that many jobs, uh, we've got to find ways to get more of an interest down in the high school to pursue these things into the college and to get. You know some training. And we as companies, and I can speak personally, internships, we're running at an all-time high. I have 18 interns in this summer, and I'll probably run about seven or eight through the fall and spring semesters. And we're doing this to get a leg up uh, on uh, recruiting these as full-time students when they come out of college. At the same time, Uh, We're getting them mean for real work. We're not creating internships or, you know, filing clerks or secretaries or whatever. They're actually performing information technology programming, system administration, database, business analysis. We put them into real jobs. And so they're coming out of school much more prepared to work in our profession. And as doing that, as we expose that and get into the universities, more people are becoming interested in our book, in our business. And the nice thing about, this, lastly, information technology is that once you get in this profession, you can move around within it in the disciplines, or you can move into the business. So a lot of my folks, or several, not a lot, but several of my folks have decided, after a few years of working in information technology, to move into business disciplines know even more valuable because they now know the technology and i hate to say it but technology is the foundation of every company what company future can can exist without a strong technology capability and so no matter what sector you go to technology will be there will be a major player and that even now creates more of a demand because more of us are needed to provide those services you know 15 20 25 years ago we were much less automated, much more less technology driven. Today we're all technology and it's even getting worse to that extent. It's a good news, bad news story I always say. So that is causing even higher demands, and so we need even higher numbers of folks being trained than we've even been doing the last five or ten years, and we've been behind the last five and ten years.
2: Yeah, and I just want to tell you, you know, as many of you know, before I founded Bender Consulting Services, my background was in executive search, and it just so happened that my specialty was information technology search and recruitment. And and just as Rex mentioned, so many people that I know are going to be retiring. As a matter of fact, many of them hung on for a while, you know, because of our last financial disaster, which thank God we're not having another one right now, but, you know, they hung on, but now, you know, they're retiring. They want to finally retire. And I know that even at some of the federal agencies, if you look at the number of people that are going to retire, it's unbelievable. So there is going to be such more of a need for people with this background. There will always be a need. Just as Rex said, a company is not tomorrow going to be able to exist if they are not using technology. So um, I would urge all of you young people to consider that area. Um, and, and you probably all wonder, okay, so why is Rex on your show when we are all about disability? Well, here's the reason. When I first met Rex, he was at Bear Corporation. And as many of you know, Bear, Highmark, CSC, uh, and the federal government, like the NSA and OPM are some of my uh, great customers, the Navy, NAVAIR, uh, but, I really did come from the private sector, and one of the people that embraced bringing people with disabilities into the company was and is Rex Althoff um, totally open to this, hired many people um, and Rex, I want to ask you why there's some you know just as you know, seventy percent of people with disabilities are not even in the labor force. And truthfully, Pittsburgh is known at the White House because we have more companies doing this than anyone. But I wanted to ask you, why were you willing to employ people with disabilities?
3: Well, I have to go back in time. That dates me a little bit uh, in terms of why I did that. I would say, number one, that it was another source of potentially highly skilled individuals, and i I've never looked at uh, class of the people in terms of performing the job and when you uh, you first met with me Joyce, about this, uh probably for lack of you know, it was another avenue to bring in uh you know individuals that could add value to the organization. I didn't look at them so much as being disabled as much as they had skills. And, and the fact that you were putting together a process or a program to get them somewhat trained. And so it was kind of a match a win-win as I looked at it. You had a source, a supply. I had a demand, and it was just another avenue at the time. And I didn't necessarily look at it as doing something special uh, for a special class of people. It was another, like universities or, you know, the military or whatever else. There's another group of individuals that... For whatever reason, I was not exposed to it to any great extent. And as we talked, and you know, I began to learn the capabilities of another uh, group of individuals that could be an asset to the organization, and I said, "Why not?" And that's how we got started. And um, but I never looked at them different. Now, it, clearly, we're all different. Well, I have a very diverse group of organization uh, today, so I don't look at it the differences. The differences actually add strength, I believe. To an organization, and my lack of awareness, probably for people with disabilities at the time when we first talked, I wasn't—I wasn't, I wasn't a daily exposed to people with disabilities. Even though I had, at the time, I had worked with an individual uh, prior to Joyce. I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in my prior life in Indiana, for miles, one of my developers was an individual who was blind. Uh, Paul Philippus, I remember him to the day, and uh, I have no idea where Paul is today. But uh, he was one of my best programmers. And uh, so when you approached me, I said, so what? If the person has a disability, people have disabilities. I saw Paul, and he was able to function with no sight, and we had a little bit of technology. Even in those days, we had some technology to assist him. But he was very productive in the environment where we needed some good development. So I never thought about it twice. <laughs> Just started.
2: Yeah, and and I've got to tell you something. Number one, do you hear what Rex just said? You know how you break down these attitudinal barriers? I'll tell you how. You hire people. It, it's when you see people working side by side with your other employees and you see how productive you are. That's how you break down those barriers. But I do have a Rex Althoff story I have to share with everyone. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. And, and in addition to the fact our birthday is the same day, Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I wanted to tell you that many years ago, I had met this young man who called me, and he had just been in a terrible accident. He he was driving his truck and went off the road. uh And, and this was, by the way, not like he was uh drunk or not that there was a terrible storm. There was something in the road, some turn, and he went off and hit this tree. And he went through the windshield. He had 500 stitches in his face, and he became paralyzed. A young man who was working for a company that made windows. Now, of course, he was went to a rehabilitation hospital in Pittsburgh, and that is about when I heard from him. And he went to um, a school, you know, to learn about technology, a short program, and this guy, Wow, what a great attitude. Even when he was in the hospital, he was trying to help other people. And imagine this. He had this sudden change in his life. He had, and still does, one of the best attitudes of anyone I'd met. So I picked up the phone. I called Rex. I said, Rex, I have to tell you something. I met this young man. He has one of the best attitudes. I told Rex what happened, and I said, would you mind finding a spot for him? Let me tell you how long it took for him to think about this. Two seconds. So they brought him on board. Of course, he uses a wheelchair. And today, today, what is he? He's a manager in the company at Bear. Isn't that a great story? But, Rex, it's, great it's great because story. you were willing to open the door.
3: <laughs> well, I think uh, I, I say give a credit to the person. I mean, uh, he did a phenomenal job came in and attitude is so much of it, and the thing i that people with disabilities so many of them have is so much better of an attitude than we that don't have disabilities uh, but attitude makes a difference and he came in and, and, and did a great job and moved up the ranks and uh, has been very successful, so yeah he is a he's a real positive story
2: yeah and yes, joy, he is. Your credit yeah. Uh, his name is by the way John Snyder he's phenomenal. So he, and he is, he is a great leader in America, but he's a great IT person. See, it's not just that he's a great person, uh, because he has a disability. It's a great person because he has ability. They just happens to have a disability. Well, Rex, as you've heard me say, and I know you've heard me talk about this so many times, but, uh, Americans with disabilities have the highest level unemployment of any group in America. Uh and and you and I have talked about it a lot, but I still wanted to ask you, you know, why do you think that is? Why why do you think it's so hard for people with disabilities to get jobs?
3: Well, uh, I wish I had a real good answer for that. I don't know if I have one. Um I think probably is education, awareness. Um success stories as you mentioned with John. Uh you know, I guess the first one's the hardest. Uh, you know to break that barrier into companies, but i 'm not sure companies i think his perception is that companies don 't see that as a uh, as a labor market that has skills i don 't know i i uh, and there 's also i think in corporate america a lot of h r blockage personally h r folks you know look at uh, mitigating risk and you know think there's more issues in terms of you got to change the office environment around all this kind of stuff you get into, and most of that stuff is not is not real it's is perception so perceptions unfortunately become reality uh if you if you look at the number of jobs uh that are short today and clearly in our recruiting process we don't discriminate uh, uh we have uh, skill sets we're looking for so if people can get skill sets and get experience uh it shouldn't matter and as we break down these barriers of getting people employed with disabilities, then that'll, that'll eventually go away. Uh, I know right today in town here in Pittsburgh, uh, uh, we're having, uh, you know, some wheelchair uh, Olympic kind of thing going on. A lot of people with disabilities all around downtown Pittsburgh, and they're navigating, you know, in all kinds of ways around the streets, and they're actually you know, competing in events. Uh, just, get, you know, I think that, the whole general public generally just doesn't. Uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's much discrimination. It is I don't think we understand. And I know even and even as we got started back at Bear and we first got started at Joyce, one of the big challenges I had was you know people without disabilities that aren't exposed don't know how to act or behave, what they can say or what they can do, and so it takes them some time to train and educate and talk about these things and you break down those barriers. But it's a long, hard process. And whether it's intentional or not I have no idea, but you know, the statistics speak for themselves. So it's a challenge and something I know that you're adamant about changing and have been working in your last several years of trying to change. But it um it's breaking down the you know the walls one by one in corporate America, but with as many jobs as we have, if we get the right kind of training and maybe some kind of like an internship, and you know we've talked about these things, you know how do you create a situation where you're learning uh at the same time that you're being trained and providing a value and if that all works out, just like our internship program universities or whatever avenue we go in, you will want to keep these people on and staff and want to hire them and uh it shouldn't matter if they have a disability or not, so But a lot of it's just our unaware, our uncomfortability because we don't know what to do. I'm not sure if it's intentional or not. But sometimes we're afraid to maybe uh, do something about it. And I, I, I can't tell you much more than that. I don't really know.
2: Well, no, I think that's a good answer. I think that if you've not, you know, sometimes it's just ignorance. Uh, you know, it's lack of knowledge. And hopefully through this show and through what Voice America is doing and through what great leaders like Rex is doing and all of you out there who are great ambassadors. Uh, and by the way, Yoshiko Dart, special hello to you now that I think about it, a great leader for young people with disabilities. So Yoshiko, when you're listening to the show, make sure you spread this news about going into these uh, technical areas at technical fields. Uh, but I think that when, once you open the door, just as Rex did, you'll have a whole different view of everything going on. Um, and Rex, many of the young people with disabilities that I work with um, just run into nonstop barriers when they're trying to gain employment. Um, and I wonder, do you have any advice for them, those that are listening to the show today?
3: Well, don't give up. Uh, if you're running into barriers, I always say the barrier, you need to find a way to get around the barrier. And that can be within the company or if you know someone else that uh, is in the industry that might know someone else that's in that company that's looking for a skill set. Uh, number one, you don't know the barriers are, are, are a variety of barriers. Some could be just that the corporate, you know, misconception from an HR perspective. It can be that an individual you know, it was somewhat uncomfortable because they don't know what to say and how to say it. So maybe it's easier by not doing, you know, not doing anything. So education, um, I think as we, you know, talk and share our experiences, those of us that have worked with people with disabilities and the successes, uh, I just wish that I had more people with disabilities because quite frankly, people with disabilities by far have been stronger and better employees than people without disabilities in general. So that's a credit to people with disabilities, and what we do is we have to get that word out, and we somehow have to figure out how to better arm and educate the corporate world and individuals, and it's just it's a one-on-one kind of a thing. So as you're running into barriers, try to find, well, I guess, barriers are, I guess, rejections. You can't find a job, but if you've got a skill that's in demand that people are looking for and you're not getting consideration, then... I always say to Joyce, maybe you're looking at the wrong company, the wrong field. Shake off the dust and go someplace else. But try to find organizations or individuals that are open-minded, that are really looking at things objectively, and try to pursue those. And it probably networking. Uh, I know in Pittsburgh, there's probably some companies that Joyce would know that are easier to talk to than other companies. And probably no matter where you are in the United States, or listening to this, that there are some companies some industries, some parts of the community that are easier, and I would focus on those first.
2: All right. Uh, Well, listen, Rex, you've been successful. Um, I wanted to ask you a quick question. In the world of business, who was it that impacted you the most?
3: You know, uh, as I think about that, and I don't reflect on that too much, but as I reflect on that, there have been different people at different stages of my life. As I've matured and grown, and I, clearly the people I've worked for, or, I've been fortunate for the most part to work for very, uh, good individuals that have done a good job of mentoring, and being honest with me, that have talked me, and I've, and I, each one of them have taught me something different, and so, I don't know if I can tell you an individual, but it starts with a guy named Bob, my first supervisor out of college that I worked for, um, all the way up through John, and then to Ted today, uh, uh I've been fortunate to be And I've always gravitated. Look for individuals that will help you learn, that will listen and then coach you and give you advice that don't just have, you know, that next job in mind. I've never looked, and I think this would be it, I've never looked at my next job. I've always said if I do well what I do today, the right doors will open and whatever they are, they will happen. So sometimes, you know, finding mentors to help that along the Way is important, and I can't tell as anyone individual. And Joyce, even people with disabilities—you've been part of my life that's opened my eyes and helped me understand that better. And I enjoy going to your annual picnics, and I get to meet people that I don't know. And I ask them—I'm more comfortable asking questions about, you know, what do they do, you know, what barriers, you know, what could we do differently, and what things do you enjoy. And I've learned a lot from that perspective. And I think we just have to get better exposure. Yeah, and, but well, don't give up. And we
2: love having you, Rex. Yeah,
3: but don't uh, give up. But
2: you, you are a wonderful person, and you have accomplished so much in your life. Um, I mean, you've been so successful, as I mentioned, CIO of the Year, but there are many, many other things bigger and greater than that where you've been acknowledged uh, and obviously been successful in moving into an executive position. But if you had to uh, think about, what you consider as your greatest accomplishment, what would that be?
3: Uh, it's a tough question for me. I never look at my accomplishments and I, and I reflect on life and that, but I would say this. As a matter of fact, there was a question that came out of the CIO word thing, and someone asked me this question, and I said, as I reflected, the success of folks that have worked for me, people that I've mentored myself, seeing them succeed. I have, and I counted at one time, five active CIOs that work for me during my career that I hired and mentored a little bit. So I've been part of individuals that have attained the level that I am at for different companies of different size. That, to me, and then I've seen other people in a variety of, started off with just out of school that now are in management or leadership roles. In, in our industry, in, in other professions, I get more I think my accomplishment is seeing other people learn and grow. I get more out of that than anything I've done personally. So that means to me more than even the CIO award personally. As strange as that may sound.
2: Well, that that is great. And that is an unbelievable accomplishment about all those CIOs. I mean, that to me is a great accomplishment because then you're teaching other people to do the right thing. So, Rex, if you had to leave all of our listeners listening to the show today with a message, what would you like to leave with them?
3: A message. I would say, number one, um, never give up. Uh, Attitude, um, a positive outlook on life means more than anything you know. And I always have emphasized to my staff, hire the individual and, and train the skill. So you don't have to have all the skill which have to some basics, but if you've got the right individual with attitude that's got a positive view on things, that's optimistic, someone who does more than what's required, uh, that wants to learn and, and constantly, and then learn the business and find individuals that are of your mindset to learn more from. Listen more than you talk. Always triangulate for facts because what one individual tells you is their perspective So try to triangulate before you react. Um, But I would say um, the mindset and flexibility and don't complain about things. I always say if you're unhappy and complaining, go find something else. I tell my own staff, if you're not happy doing this, don't complain. Find something you're happy with and focus on that, and life will be much better.
2: It is. It is all about attitude. I agree with you. Well, Rex, first of all, thank you so much for being with us today. And as a matter of fact, in behalf of all Americans with disabilities, thank you for hiring us.
3: Thanks for the opportunity, Joyce. It's always a pleasure.
2: Well, I end every show with a quote from either a famous civil rights leader, someone who has made a change in America, uh, or some government official So let's put that together today, and we have a quote from Thomas Jefferson about leadership, and this is what he said. In matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. And isn't that the truth? This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at Voice America